It's good to see you guys here tonight. Um, I want to start out with something that may be familiar for a lot of you guys, but just as I've thought about tonight's teaching, it, um, it just keeps coming back to me. 2 Timothy 2.1, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And these things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved with civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, in all, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And a hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all this. And just those ideas, really big ideas for us as men of God. Tonight, we're going to be invited to reflect on just the soldiering aspect of uh, who we are as men of God. So I'm looking forward to that. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll get started. Father, thank you for these men tonight. Lord, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, Wherever we're at, whatever challenges, burdens of the day, whatever has just caused just great exhaustion uh, in in the weariness or anxiety uh, over these men right now, in Jesus' name, I just just ask for your anointing of your grace. And God, that um, you would refresh these men in a way that their hearts can be open to receive the word of the Lord tonight and be encouraged. And Lord, that maybe even tonight that these men would be changed from the inside out. That something in our lives, all of us, would be changed because we're encouraged and we're equipped by the uh, the words and the power of the Holy Spirit uh, through uh, just the teaching time tonight. So we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited to uh, just to have uh, Colonel Ted Severin come to share tonight. So uh, he's, uh, as I put in my note out to you guys, he's just a man's man. in a lot of ways, just you know, just the fact that even his son can come and stand with him tonight is a huge celebration and a testimony. Um, you know that that is, uh, you know, he can have all the accolades in the world and all all the things that he's accomplished, but the fact that he's sitting here as a part of his legacy with his son tonight um, stands probably um, out the most. So, so without further ado, Ted Severn. Good evening, gents. It's uh, really great to be here. I've, I've traveled, or I've been here as, as often as I can in between business travel and so on, and so I think I've met most of these, uh, made most of these sessions and met a good number of you. There's some of who I haven't had the opportunity to meet yet. You know, life is kind of funny. Uh, I noticed uh, in this morning's uh, session a little note from Russ that he said, hear from the old soldier, <laughs> you know. Uh, from these eyes out, and I'm sure most of the fellows that are about my age feel the same way. I mean, we, we still think we're 25, you know, and what happens is you have to get up every morning and shave, and then you look in the mirror and see your grandfather looking back at you. So I, I guess I am an old soldier, Russ. Uh, when I first uh, met Russ uh, and we went out and had lunch together before he really be- began these sessions, he said, one of these days I'd like you to speak, and uh, I'd like you to do it with regard to training. And I said, okay, uh, I've never thought much about Christianity and training, but uh, I'll give it a whirl and get back with you. So uh, tonight's my shot. But 
The problem is <clears throat> I've got about 300 pounds to put in a 100-pound box, so I might not get through. I've asked Gary to give me the high sign at 25 minutes. Russ has given me 30 minutes, and we're allowed to get through this thing, but hopefully I can share with you some interesting experiences. And so um, could you go to the next slide, please? So I need to tell you a little bit about uh, my background so you know where I'm coming from. First of all, I spent about 28 years in the Army uh, as an infantryman. I've commanded uh, from platoon through brigade, plus a garrison here at Fort Carson. Been married to a wonderful lady for 40, uh, 44 years. Raised uh, five wonderful children, all fully grown right now. Uh, Jeff is one of them. Have 12 and a half grandchildren. Jeff owns two and a half of those. We just found out that Laura was pregnant uh, about three weeks ago, right, I think. Uh, they're, they're wonderful kids. Uh, those are the things I kind of like, uh, Western heritage sports, strengthening faith, that's uh, first, cooking over the grill on occasion to relax. I was raised in a military family, as was my wife. I'm Army, my dad was Air Force, so was Dusty's, and uh, that was a great way to grow up as a kid, although my dad was in Strategic Air Command, which was bombers uh, from World War II on. And uh, I got to tell you, he was gone about two-thirds of the time at any one given year, any one given week, month, etc. So I didn't see my dad a lot, though we got along great, uh, and I loved him to death when we were together. And uh, then I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the impact of the military on me, uh, the impact of a post-military trip to Saudi Arabia, and then I want to get into the training piece in, in the Bible, which is the training manual. Next slide. Uh, this is, you can't see this very well, uh, but I'm sure you might have heard about the Ashaw Valley and Hamburger Hill, the movie, and the book. That's a picture looking uh, west uh, from a helicopter that's an M60 machine gun on the right lower corner. And all I wanted to point out was it's misty in the background. There are a lot of steep mountains, four and 5,000 feet, and it's uh, full of bad guys. Next slide. I'm not sure they're bad guys today, but back then they were. Uh, this is a map of I-Corps, which is where I was with the 101st Airborne Division. And uh, let's see if I can get this thing working. It's not, not going. But anyway, we spent most of our time in uh, Tua Tin Province, north in Quang Tri Province with the Marines around Da Nang, which is probably to the right lower of, the, of that indent there, that big harbor. Marines, and then south of there was the 23rd Americal Division. And so I want to tell you a little story that got me talking about God in a hurry. Next slide. Uh, that's a, a young Captain Ted Severn after having just fought a battle and we're on top of a hill and uh, got the helmet off and probably about 100 days worth of growth because we were in the field about 100 days at a time before going into the rear. No bath, no anything. Uh, and on this particular mission that I want to talk to you about, we were operating, it was February 1970, coast, and once you get past the coast, it's the street without joy, if any of you are familiar with Bernard Fall's book. Uh, it's just mountains. And so most of the time in the February time frame, you can't go anywhere because it's monsoon season. So you've got to restrict your operations along the road because you can't get anywhere by air and nothing can get anything into you. But there was a break in the weather about mid-February, and uh, I was given my rifle company, about 100 guys uh, was that I was commanding, was given the mission of making a combat assault back in the mountains about 17 miles to look for an underground hospital. So the bottom line is we saddled up in about 20 helicopters, uh, escorted by two gunships, and off we went. And uh, hit a green LZ, no contact, looked for the enemy for about five days, and then about the fifth day as we were moving up into high ground to establish a night defensive position, 
we got whacked. And I had my first man killed, several people wounded, and uh, we killed a bunch of those guys. And about the time that that happened, it was about an hour before dark, um, the, the rain came back. I mean, the weather just closed in. So I very quickly lost helicopter assets, medevacs, uh, gunships, uh, attack air, and the only thing I had was us and however much ammunition we had and uh, artillery, which could still reach us. And so we fought the better part of that night, and uh, we won, and, and then we were there. But on one of those previous slides, you saw that there were about 90,000 North Vietnamese or VC infantry to our 15,000 Americans in the 101st and the Marines in that area. So we knew that being cut off, we had to go through about two regiments to get back to the coast. And uh, so when you talk about faith, you know, I, I had been a churchgoer as a kid. I hadn't worked particularly hard at reading the Bible or anything other than that 60-minute church time. And, and that was it. But I did rip out of the Ranger Handbook a uh, copy of the 23rd Psalm, and there was a Protestant prayer and a Catholic prayer there, and I put it in my wallet and I carried it, and I referred to it frequently as I talked to the Lord about helping me get out of this situation. So the bottom line is I had to, I had to march these guys 17 miles through heavily defended enemy terrain to the coast. So I analyzed the terrain and weaved our way through there. And by the way, we're out of ammunition, darn near. No food. And we were eating bananas off of banana trees that we found. And I did most of the movement at night. And uh, thanks to the good Lord, and I've reflected on this since, we made it. And uh, didn't have another major encounter. We had some minor skirmishes. So I relied pretty heavily on the, on the Lord that whole tour. One-on-one, when I've got back from Vietnam, I went and taught ROTC at Davidson College, quiet little community in North Carolina, and really didn't go to church. I kind of left God behind. The point I want to make is I've talked to a lot of men in my life, and I think we all do that. When we have a problem, we're close to the Lord, and I think that's what He wants. When the problem goes away, we kind of forget about Him. And so that's what happened to me. Next slide. Then, uh, so I went through a, a fun Army career most of the time, and uh, then retired at about 28 years and a half uh, in the military. And then a meet, I had three kids in college, so I needed to have a pretty good job. And I had a good friend of mine, retired Major General Bill Streeter, who for the United States government was fielding Bradley fighting vehicles, that's what that is, uh, in Saudi Arabia to the Royal Saudi Land Forces. And uh, he knew I was going to retire, and he said, hey, Ted, I sure could use a deputy. So I said, well, I sure could use a job because I've got three kids in college I have to get out. We agreed that I would come over and be his deputy, and after a year, uh, I, I became the program director for another five years. Next slide. And that, that's kind of where we were. Uh, I, I don't have the red light that works, but where our camp was, was uh, that you can see the Red Sea. That's that main body of water that runs through the center of the, of the slide. And up toward the end of the Red Sea, off to the right, you'll see a road. And, and that last creek in the road is where we lived in a little town called Tabuk. It is a, uh, it's an old trading town. One time it was a couple thousand. Today it's about 200,000, 225,000. And, uh, and that's where we did this business. And what we found out very quickly was the Saudis, uh, because they're Muslims and it's the home for Mecca and, and uh, Medina, two holy sites for Islam, 
aren't very patient with people who worship as Christians. We're infidels. And so we started up a Bible study group and, uh, and a dive group. And we did a lot of diving every weekend. We got at least four or five dives in, in uh, the Red Sea and the Gulf of Acapa. Next slide. And as we began to put this Bible study together, we ran across some uh, writings by Ron Wyatt, uh, who was uh, from Tennessee, and he was an archaeologist and an adventurer, and he came up with a theory that Mount Sinai was really in Saudi Arabia, not in, uh, not in the Sinai Peninsula. And so this is a satellite photo, and uh, the more we read, uh, the more we agreed with him. And so we began um, searching for the places of Moses. And, uh, and there, are, there are biblical scriptures on this slide. For example, the one down in uh, Galatians 4.25 says that Midian was in Saudi Arabia. Well, Mount Sinai was in, in, in Midian, so therefore it all added up that that uh, Saudi Arabia was, in fact, the home of the mountain. Next slide. I'm going to take you through this rather quickly. So we went back, did some history on the Egyptians and uh, where they might have traveled, and uh, obviously where they go, where their route takes them. And an obvious crossing spot in what was considered the Red Sea was the Gulf of Aqaba. There are places in the Bible where, uh, where we talk about the Israeli fleet being on the Red Sea, when in fact it was on the Gulf of Aqaba with a lot as its, uh, as its seaport. Anyway, half about uh, halfway down the, uh, the Gulf of Aqaba, there's a natural land bridge that goes across to Saudi Arabia. There's a large beach on the Egyptian side that's Nueva Beach. You can see a large, uh, what looks like a trail that kind of goes out to the west and then north. That's a wadi, which is a, a valley or a canyon. And once you get in there, you can't get out. It's like being in a maze. But anyway, the Bible talks about Moses traveling south and being uh, kind of hemmed in by the wilderness. And if you look at uh, Josephus, who was a Hebrew historian, he's a little more descriptive and, and talks about mountains and mountain passes and the Egyptians um, making sure that the, the uh, Israeli, Israelites don't come back through the mountain passes. And then when you look at the natural land bridge to the north... The water is about, about 3,000 feet deep. To the south of that bridge, it's about 5,000 feet deep. Where that bridge goes across is about 900 feet deep. It's a 30% slope. The rest of the places, it's, it's a wall. And so it was logical that if the Lord was going to open the sea, he can, he can do anything, but that's an easier place to do it. Next slide. And that's what, uh, that's what the wadi looks like as you're looking to Saudi Arabia. That's Saudi, Saudi Arabia in the back, just as high and rugged mountains uh, opening out into uh, Nueva. Next slide. Uh, this is typical Saudi beach, and you can see that where the waves are breaking, that's the reef lip. And to dive, we would wade out across the reef lip and just jump in, and the water would probably be anywhere from several hundred feet deep to thousands of feet deep. Next slide. So that wouldn't be a very good bridge. Those are our intrepid explorers. Guy on the right worked for me, an airborne ranger armor guy. Guy on the left is a good sergeant, was my master gunner, and a hero of the Gulf War. Next slide. And what we were looking for on this crossing site was weird growing uh, uh, coral growths. And, uh, and that was one of them. And Ron Wyatt thought that that probably at one time had been an axle and a wheel hub. And of course, there's no wood there now, uh, but uh, you know, to some 2,000 years later, but it would still have the shape of the wheel and the hub. 
And we later found these kinds of things on the Saudi side. Next slide. That's uh, what the wall looks like most of the time when we went diving. Absolutely gorgeous. Next slide. That's uh, Dusty and I, my wife and I, down in uh, our little camp right at the crossing site, what we believe is the crossing site. Next slide. And by the way, that's about 32 miles off the nearest road through the desert. And then this is a slide that's totally different than the wall that I showed you. And that is, that sh that's about 90 feet depth. That's white sand, granular sand, and if you dry that out, it very quickly becomes trafficable. Next slide. That's the way it is all the way across that land bridge. So if, uh, if that was the way, and we were following the Bible as we studied, Elam couldn't be very far away, the home of Jethro. And lo and behold, we found a little town, and that had 12 wells, if you recall, and 70 palm trees, and we found a little town that fit that description with the appropriate wells and so on. And by the way, on the Saudi map, it says... Jethro's home. Next slide. So if that was Elam, well, anyway, uh, there are also some uh, uh, caves around, Nebatean uh, caves, and, and that is also where people lived in those days with tent extensions and that kind of thing. Next slide. Uh, and then if, if you say, okay, that's Elam, then the rock at Horeb, the rock that Moses split, can't be far away. And sure enough, uh, within probably 30 miles, we run into this rock, that, that cliff, uh, that uh, mountain is probably about 200 feet high. The rock is about 70 feet high. And you can clearly see when you walk up there where it split. And you can clearly see where water came down and formed a very large lake at the base of that. Next slide. So then, and by the way, the Bible talks about a, an altar being down at the base of the, of, uh, the rock at Horb. There it is. That was 200 feet away from the base of, of the rock. Next slide. And then, uh, then you say, well, okay, well, where's the mountain? And we've uh, heard of people talking about the um, golden calf altar. Well, I don't know whether you can see it, but if you look up toward the top left, big rock, you'll see an Egyptian bovine petroglyph. Well, that whole rock feature is surrounded by those. And the only piece in persons who could have uh, did that artwork was, was somebody who grew up in Egypt. And there's no history in that region of, of Egyptians being there except for the Israelites. About that time, we were surrounded and arrested, and we never, got, uh, we, never, we never made it to the mountain. But we did swivel right enough before we spent three hours being questioned to the next slide, which was a picture of the mountain. And everything that the Bible describes in the mountain, to include the blackened peak, the, the creek, the cleft in the rocks, uh, you'll find in that, in that uh, mountain. I mean, it fits the biblical description perfectly. Next slide. And there are some verses that, uh, while I'm talking, you can continue to read that uh, you, you would find in the Bible that describes pieces of the mountain. So what this did for Ted Severn was it changed my faith. I mean, I said, holy cow, buddy, you better get with it. You've, you've always put this off and said, someday... I'm going to get with it. Well, now is the time. I mean, I don't know whether that's the mountain or not, but it fit the biblical descriptions, and it made sense when we put it together. And so I began reading the Bible, and I'm now about two times through it and starting on the third, but every time I read it, I read something else, and it just really solidified my faith. So I pass that on for what it's worth to you, and I'd recommend you go up on the website. There's, a, there's about three people who have seen what we've seen, One's at Bob Cornick, who happens to live in Monument, 
And I just met with Bob for lunch uh, last uh, Friday, and he's, he and I are anxious to get together. And then Ron Wyatt, who's deceased, and uh, one of Bob's buddies uh, who, who made the first adventure that they did about 1982 is also knowledgeable. So we're anxious to get together and talk more about it. Next slide. And then I've climbed the Sinai in, in Egypt, and I'll tell you, the, the mountains and what we saw in Saudi Arabia have a feel about them. Probably say, well, that's pretty silly, but that's the way I would describe it. It's a, it's a feeling. I mean, it's overwhelming. This mountain did not. It doesn't meet any of, the, any of the descriptions, so I know that's not Mount Sinai. Next. So that's the background, and I had to tell you a little bit about my faith before we got into the, into the meat of the matter, which is training. Um, you know, I looked at U.S. Army training, and I said, you know, for, for those of you who have been involved in it, how many veterans do we have here, former Army guys? Okay, a couple of you. You know what I'm talking about. You just don't go out and go to war. You've got to train very specifically for tasks, whether it's setting up a roadblock, dismounted patrol, mounted patrol, large offensive operation, defensive operation, whatever it is. And so uh, the main manual for training in the Army is FM 3-0. And then there are lots of supporting uh, field manuals that talk about those various things that I just mentioned to you. And so if you're a commander and you know you're going to go to war, you really have to field strip the specific tasks. And they range from what you call collective tasks, larger than one man, to individual soldier tasks. And you don't train a soldier on anything that he's not going to, going to contribute to the success of the larger collective tasks. And so you developed a mission essential task list, which lists both the individual tasks and the collective tasks. And then, obviously, you try to train as you fight. So at Fort Carson, if you ever were to go out there and train, those guys have set specific training lanes up based on whatever their mission is to try to replicate what they would find in Iraq or in Afghanistan. And they would rehearse it over and over and over again. And a big piece of it is once you're finished a training event is to conduct what we call an AAR, an after-action review. So you learn what you did good, what you need more work in, and then you go do it again. That's Army training. So next slide. As I talk about Christian training, I said, well, you know, I think it's the same thing. The training manual is the Bible. It's as simple as that. And there are, there are lots of supporting books. You can find them right here in the New Life bookstore on about any subject. You can find it on adultery or substance abuse or whatever it is. And so a big part of training is reading and knowing what the enemy is. And I know where you all are in spiritual warfare. Twenty years ago, I would have said Severn's nuts, but I believe it's alive and well. And every time you get up in the morning or even at night, you're subject to a battle. And so the idea is we Christians need to be training all the time. And a big piece of that is reading and being familiar with our training manual, which is the Bible. And you can set specific tasks for, let's say, you have an eye for the women. Okay, and you know that. So you set yourself up a task. Okay, I kind of have a hankering for Gina. She's not my wife. So what am I going to do today to bounce off of Gina, get my eyes away from her, not talk to her, whatever you need to do? That's a task for the day so that you remain loyal to your wife. 
Or the same thing if you're substance or pornography or whatever it is. You know what it is. You know what the Bible says about it. It doesn't talk about pornography in the Bible, but it does talk about adultery, and there are many branches and sequels from that as you get into both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So you guys know what's right or wrong. You know about substance. So read the book, become familiar with it, set your tasks, practice every day whether you're attacked that day or not. And then what this organization is all about is netting with men, being accountable to a friend, somebody you can go to and talk about your problem and what your weakness may be or what your challenge is. And you're accountable to each other so that when you get a feeling or when you're tempted, you can go to that friend and you can say, man, here's what happened. I need to talk to somebody about it. Then you're refreshed, and you may pray, and you may read a scripture or two or three or four, and then you're armed for the next day or the next time you may encounter. So that's, that's how it's exactly like the way I look at it as an old soldier, Russ. Next slide. And so, um, you know, a lot of people say, youngsters mostly, and some oldsters, well, why should I read the Bible? Well, i got to tell you, the Bible tells you why you read it. And you can go to 2 Timothy. Read particularly, if you can, the ones that are underlined. Uh, For example, 2 Timothy says, All scriptures, all and useful for teaching, rebuilding, or rebuking, connecting, training, etc. And then you go down to Psalm 119.11. Can a young man keep his way pure? And how you do that? You do it by living according to the Word. So, I mean, there's some pretty good reasons why you need to keep your nose in the Bible every day. I mean, Jesus tells us that. Next slide. Therefore, everyone who hears those words, back in those days when Jesus was alive, there weren't too many copies of the Bible around, so mostly people spread it by word, word of mouth. So that's what they're talking about. But he talks about hearing the words and living according to the words. Next slide. Then when you get into, okay, what are the rules? What do we follow? Well, obviously, the most important things and the first ones you run into in the Bible are the Ten Commandments. And they're kind of simple and base, but, boy, they're right on the mark. I'm the Lord. Don't take anybody, no other God before me. No idols. No misuse of the name. Um, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. How many of us do that these days? Uh, honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't covet what your neighbor has. And so those are pretty solid rules to go by every day. And as you go through the rest of the Bible, there are branches and sequels of that. Next slide. And I've got a couple pages here of some of my favorite verses. And... Uh, Russ, I do have a paper copy if, uh, if you want to copy those sometime next week, and you guys can pick them up next week if you wanted to do that. Uh, I know you can't read all these, and I don't want to take the time to do it, but uh, we talk about the law of the Lord being perfect in Psalm 19. We talk about uh, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. You know, there was a, I'm, I'm a member of another couple of Bible studies, but both all men's Two, both of them are men's studies, and they're great studies. And one of the questions that was fired at one of the study groups was, can you tell 
by looking at a man, whether he's a Christian. And, and, you, and you have to stop and think of that. But I can tell you very specific, solid believers that I can look at and say, by golly, there's a believer, you know, kind of a thing. Well, guys, I just got the five-minute sign, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down to the last couple of slides. Go, go through until you get, please, to uh, Cowboy Up. Lord's Prayer. Okay, accountability. This is, this is one thing that's really important, and that happens to involve us right here. I mean, the good Lord tells us that as iron sharpens, sharpens iron, so one man does another. I mean, there's, that's pretty clear. We, we're, we're meant to share with each other. Uh, and then something about he who conceals his sins in Proverbs uh, will not prosper. And then it talks about the, the strong helping the weaker. And I think there are times when we all have a weakness, that maybe a guy had a weakness, and he's strong in that aspect, and if you're buddies, he can help you. Next slide. Well, the bottom line is, I, I kind of like to think I'm half cowboy. And, uh, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, otherwise known as cowboy up. And so the bottom line is, I think it's, uh, my, my version is, and you guys can shoot darts at me if you want, but... You work hard to develop a buddy. You talk about your challenges. You know what's right or what's wrong. Then get on with it. Don't whine in it. Get on with it. Cowboy up. Change if you have to. Get your, get your, uh, your face in the Word. Read it. Understand it. And correct yourself and contribute to those who have a problem. Next slide. Russ uh, wanted me to tell two kind of war stories. So I'm going to end with this. Those are B-29s. They were made uh, famous in World War II. They were the kind of aircraft that, that uh, dropped the atomic bombs on Japan. They were also used heavily in Korea. Today's 9th of May. If my dad were alive, he'd be 20, uh, 91 today. So I always think about him on this day. And I want to tell you a little story about him because this, this is a story that uh, I found out later, uh, much later, uh, what impacted on his faith. He took off one day in November of 1950. At that time, uh, the Chinese were coming across the Yalu River, which is the border between Manchuria and North Korea, to try to reinforce the North Koreans who were being countered by the American forces and other UN forces that were entering uh, southern Korea. And at that time, the, uh, the Chinese had introduced the MiG-15 jet fighter, these are propeller-driven uh, bombers. And uh, what they would do is uh, they, would, they would fly over at, at a higher altitude than these bombers, and they'd drop bombs anywhere from 15 to 30,000 feet. And they would dive down on them and strafe them in an attempt to shoot them down. Then they'd slide over into, into, into Manchuria. And at that time in the war, we didn't have the permission to go pursue them. Our fighters couldn't pursue them. So one cold day, uh, boy, there were a flock of MiG-15s that came at these guys. And my father had the great distinction of being the first B-29 uh, strafed enough, knocked out three engines out of four, uh, severely wounded one, one of the crew of 10. 
and Dad had to slide out of the formation, and I think most guys would have crashed, but the good Lord was with him. And he was able to ease that airplane to some clandestine airfield vicinity Seoul, Korea, which, as you know right now, is, is just south of the current uh, North Korea-South Korea border. Nobody there, so the uh, crew landed. Crew chiefs began working on the engines, performed first aid on the uh, severely wounded crewmen. Uh, Dad and co-pilot and the rest of the guys went looking for fuel, and, and the, the ailerons were all shot up, so they needed to do some uh, material patching with tape and anything they could find. Bottom line is, within a day, they had three or four engines working. They found a bunch of uh, five-gallon fuel cans, and they dumped enough fuel in the, uh, in the wing tanks so that they had enough fuel to get back to Japan. They took off off this rickety old airfield as guys were taking pot shots at them. They couldn't get above 200 feet, and they landed no radios in Japan. And uh, he told me, shared with me later as he was dying, he said, Ted, the Lord was with me. That's what turned my life around. So there's another tough situation where that crew, I think all ten of them, relied on the Lord, and the Lord responded. So he's there for you when you want him. And Dad began working at the Bible, though I didn't know it. Uh, and he certainly didn't share a lot with me as a kid because he was mostly gone. But uh, that... It was fun for me as a son to find out that that's one of the key events that turned my dad around with regard to his faith. So, in summary, we've talked about what turned my life around with regard to faith. We've talked about Army training, and it's kind of very similar to Christian training. We've pointed out some great biblical verses. The Bible is full of them, guys. I'd encourage you to read them, know them, live by them. Most of you probably do. And... uh, That's it. That was my point. Just get with it and cowboy up. Thanks very much.
Gladiator, right? We got our own soldier here, so thank you, Ted. That was great. Um, guys, let me read something to you um, from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, we're called to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature and attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's chapter 4. And we flip the page to the all-too-familiar Ephesians 6. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground against the devil's schemes. As you guys know, it goes through the, the armor and, and, and as soldiers that were called to stand in that. For years, I read Ephesians because it's such personal language of the gear that you put on every day, as Ted said, that when you wake up or even in the middle of the night, you're, you're in a battle. And so we put on that gear. The reason I wanted to show you this, guys, tonight is not to lather up your mask and soul with Gladiator, is to actually show you something that when Paul wrote that passage in the first century, the context for the army of that time is what we just saw in Gladiator. You didn't see the Roman soldiers out there by themselves. When you read the language of Ephesians 6 and putting on the full armor of God and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness, it is locking shields and then what happens? Hold the line, stay with me. And then they move forward as one. You guys see that? The imagery of that? That is, that is the intent of that because that's the way that those armies fought. It was in that context that Paul wrote that in that day. And that's very challenging for me, guys, because, yeah, I want to soldier up. I want to stand firm and I want to do that. But alone, that's not what this is about. And too many guys are standing alone in the ranks to soldier up. What Ted said and what he shared tonight was... um, challenges me on many fronts that there is a training that goes in when the net began there are a lot of hurting guys grace to all of us as we're in moments of tenderness but at some point we're called to man up to cowboy up to begin getting strengthened and encouraged but what that looks like as we begin arming ourselves preparing for the battle at hand is that that comes together as as we just read in ephesians in unity that there's no solo event in this thing. And so guys, th- this is, and just the legacy of Ted's story tonight, what we've seen through a soldier's life, we see that echoed and parallel through the lives of the scripture. And so just once again, it's a charge for all of us. Don't find yourself alone in the midst of the battle. Make sure that you've got a guy that you're locking shields with. And that's really what the net is about, isn't it? So wasn't that good tonight with Ted? That was great. So what would, thank you, please. We'll take those scriptures, there's a lot of them, and there's a lot of life in those scriptures, and we'll t- simply take that, there'll be a podcast tonight of Ted's message for you guys to share it for God, with guys who aren't there, and then we'll have that link to uh, those verses that Ted shared. So for all you guys scrambling, in case you missed one, uh, you'll be able to uh, get that later and go through that, so I'd encourage you to do that. So let me pray for us before we break into groups. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. And I just pray, Lord, that you would let it 
just confirm in our heart. And I thank you, Lord, for just the word that you, just as Ted, literally walk the ground, the very footsteps of where uh, spiritual forefathers walked. That Lord, there is, there is um, a discovery process that we all have to go to as we seek out just answers. There's questions, Lord, that uh, there are God-sized questions. And for the men that are here tonight that are in their own desert seeking answers, just, Lord, I just pray in your specific way you would speak clear answers specifically to their questions, Lord, that their faith would be built. And Lord, that these men, just whatever pain they're facing, that when the pain subsides, God, I just pray that you would just, uh, just, just confirm their faith, that they would commit themselves to you for the rest of their days. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for men like Ted Severn. I thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness over the years, and I pray that we would be the same. Um, I pray, God, tonight specifically as we respond to the word, that we would be unified. The men of the net, the men of new life, and Lord, as you bring the diversity of this group of men together in unity, Lord, it's just hard to imagine um, how the kingdom is going to be built and expanded in new life and beyond. So we just pray and commission these guys in Jesus' name. Amen. For you guys that are just coming in new tonight, the format, we typically break into groups. Uh, there's a few new guys here. I've seen you come in. Uh, these, these tables um, are kind of informally led. They're topically driven. So if there's something that you're curious about or something that's uh, a point of interest, whether it's discipleship or fathering or marriage, you can land. Uh, if you're there this week, that's great. And then move on to another time. But the, the purpose for these environments are really to create a natural uh, connecting point for you to interact with one guy that maybe at the end of tonight um, you had a good discussion, but that you're able to connect or there's a story that's shared that maybe resonates with something going on in your life that says, hey, maybe we can get coffee after this or, or, or you know, go on a walk or whatever just to get some time with that guy. So um, that's really the purpose of the net. It is to, uh, to create a natural environment for men to connect and, and, and then continue to grow in encouragement as we equip one another, just as Ted so perfectly described. So I encourage you guys to break in your groups. Uh, there's a few gray-haired guys walking around. If you uh, just need a guy to talk with one-on-one, uh, those guys will be kind of back here. Uh, otherwise, just go enjoy the group. So thanks, guys.